This sermon was recorded at the Church of Christ, Wheeler area, located at 1500 South Allen L. Bean Boulevard in Wheeler, Texas. Our regular meeting times are at 10.30 a.m. and 2.30 p.m. each Sunday. Come join us as we seek to worship God in spirit and in truth. You think back about a month ago, we talked about Paul's prayer for the, the church at Ephesus and and a very powerful prayer that Paul goes through. And I just wanted to call your attention to some of those things that he prayed for as, as he went through that prayer. He was asking God that God would strengthen the church at Ephesus, that the, that the individuals there would be strengthened uh, in the inner man, strengthened by a spirit in the inner man, that Christ would dwell in their hearts, that they would be rooted and grounded in love, that they would be able to comprehend the breadth and length and depth and height of, of God's love for them, that they would know and understand the love of Christ, and that they would be filled with the fullness of God. And we talked about a few of those things, and, and I don't want to go back into all that uh, in detail, but uh, we, we ask you to pray that. To pray that prayer for the next uh, few weeks and to pray for this church, this congregation, that we would experience those same things, that God would bless us in those same areas. Because Paul is giving us an example of a prayer. We talked about the Lord's Prayer and how people reference back to that Lord's Prayer and really what Jesus did in giving us that prayer was to give us a template. To show us things that we need to be praying for and things we need to be thinking about when we hit our knees and when we go to God in prayer. And Paul applies that template, but he goes into more detail, into some specifics about what the church at Ephesus needed. And so today, we're going to look at another one of Paul's prayers, this time for the church at Philippi. Paul, uh, we have in the scriptures recorded for us many, many times that Paul praise to God and he would record that prayer in his letter and share with that church what he was praying for them specifically and I think he did that on purpose I think there's a reason for that God inspired Paul to write and God inspired Paul to include what he was praying for these churches about as I think back to the beginning of the church in Philippi uh, I want to call your attention back to Acts the 16th chapter and we're not going to turn and read there, but read that sometime because it records for us how Paul is going to pass through there and really start and plant the church in Philippi. And he gets, Paul gets what we call the Macedonian call. He sees this vision and there's someone that says, come over to Macedonia and help us. And Luke records that from that point forward, they, they wanted to go to Macedonia. They set their sights on Macedonia, and they wanted to get there. And in doing so, they passed through several cities. And we know that Timothy was with Paul here, and Silas was with Paul, and evidently Luke and, and probably others of that company as well. But those are recorded for us, and we know they were, they were with Paul on this journey. And they come and pass through a place called Philippi. And when they're in Philippi, they're there on the Sabbath day, and so they go down to the river. It says where prayer was what to be made or where they were going to offer prayer. There was a, a Jewish prayer meeting that was going to take place down by the river. And so Paul and those that were in his group go down, and there they meet Lydia. And they meet Lydia and her family. It says that she was a seller of purple and fine linen. And it says that she was open or receptive to the message that they were sharing. You see, they didn't just go down there to sit and, and join in with that and participate in some Jewish ritual. They went because there were people there that they could share the gospel message with. 
And so Paul and, and Timothy and others there, they share, share the message with Lydia. It says she and her family were baptized. They obey the gospel. And Lydia convinces them to come back to her house and stay for some period of time. Whatever period of time that was passes. And it says during that time they run into this young woman. It says if she was a young damsel. And she had a spirit of divination. And she had masters. She was a slave girl. And these people used her uh, to, to make money because she was a soothsayer. And she could, she could tell uh, things that were going to happen. And so they used her and abused her in that way. And Paul finally gets tired of this. She calls out and she's talking about Jesus and how he's serving the Most High God. And Paul grows weary with hearing that. And he turns and he casts that spirit out of her. Well, when he does that, these people become angry with him. And uh, they, they go and turn him in, eventually get him thrown into prison. And that's where we get the story of the Philippian jailer. Because Paul and that company of people in Philippi are in prison. And they sing. Paul and Silas sang praises at midnight. The prisoners heard them. The, the, the chains, there was an earthquake. The chains were loosed. This jailer's going to kill himself. But they cry out, we're all here. We're here. Don't, don't hurt yourself. Do yourself no harm. And so they, they go and preach to him the gospel. They take advantage of that. And it says, the same hour of the night, he took them and washed their stripes and was baptized of them, he and all his, so his family, they were baptized. And uh, so there we have, we, we know two families that started this church in Philippi, two families. And from there, we, we go and we see Paul writing a letter to the Philippians. And he has this to say in verses 3 and 4. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Always in every prayer of mine for you all making request with joy. Paul had a great connection with the church at Philippi. Now by this time it was certainly more than just those two families. We know how rapidly the early church grew. But Paul had an affinity toward the church there. And he said, I thank God upon every remembrance of you. Every time I remember you, I'm thankful. Every time I look back on that uh, instance when we were in prison and we sang and we, we, the, the, the earthquake happened and this all happened. And, we, and when we went down to the river and when we met Lydia, he was thankful for that every time he remembered it. Because those were fond things that happened. He didn't look at those as difficulties or challenges. He looked back at that with joy. And he said, in every prayer, every time I pray, I'm thankful for you. I make that request with joy. When I get to pray for you, I'm happy about being able to pray for you. And so that's how Paul approached this. And, and I wonder if we look back in the times that we've uh, worked for the Lord and, and labored in his kingdom, do we look back upon it with that kind of joy? You know, we might look back. He got thrown in prison in Philippi. It would be easy to say, I don't like that place too good. Not my favorite place. Not my most enjoyable memory, but that's not what Paul thought. He was happy that all that happened. He was happy that that church got established there. And so let's read his prayer going down to verse 9. This is not quite as long of a prayer as what he prayed for the Ephesians, but nonetheless, it contains some similar language. And I want to take a look at it and examine it this afternoon. Philippians 1 beginning in verse 9. And this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. That ye may approve things that are excellent. That ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. 
being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. And so if you remember and compare back, there's some similar things. And, and really the most prevalent in both those prayers is, is that of love. Why does Paul pray so much that these churches would be established in love? He wanted the church at Ephesus to be rooted and grounded in love. And he prays for the church at Philippi that their love would abound more and more. He wanted them to have an abounding love, an excessive love. That's what the word abound means, to have an excess, to have extra love. And he wanted them to be that way. He wanted them to have that. I think we need that in the church today more than anything. We need a love that abounds more and more. Because when we have that kind of love, we look at one another differently. We just do. When there's that level of love, we have a spirit of forgiveness. We have a spirit of assistance. We have a spirit that wants to edify, that wants to build up. We want to be around one another. We want to help one another. We want to strengthen one another because we want one another to go to heaven. And Paul begins his prayer like that, that your love may abound more and more. An abounding love. What does that mean exactly? That love would abound. 1 Corinthians 13 records for us much about love. Obviously, it's hard to talk about love at all without talking about 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient and kind. It does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It doesn't insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It doesn't rejoice in wrongdoing but in truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. That's an abounding love. But then we think about an abounding love in terms of loving God and loving Christ and loving our brothers and sisters and loving uh, our neighbors and loving our enemies. Now we're talking about an abounding love, the kind of love that goes more and more and further and further. That's the kind of love that Paul prayed that the church at Philippi would have. And it's the kind of love I pray that we have in this congregation as well. John 13 and verse 35, By this all men shall know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love for one another. When we don't love one another, when we don't have an abounding love for one another, people look at us and they just see other people. But when we have an abounding love, it gets noticed. An abounding love a love that goes above and beyond, is in excess, and loves not just our friends, but loves our enemies as well. A love that loves God so much that will deny self and submit to Him and obey Him in everything, in every action, that we don't seek our own, that we don't seek self, that gets noticed. And people look at you and they say there's something different about them. They really are a disciple of Christ because they love one another. Because they have an abounding and an excessive love. That's what it takes. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse number 12. And the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another. And toward all men. Even as we do toward you. And so Paul to the church at Thessalonica says. I want you to increase and abound in love. A common theme to all the churches. We need to be increasing and abounding in love as well. 
Romans chapter 13 and verse number 8. Owe no man anything but to love one another. For he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. For this, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet. And if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, that thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Paul stresses love so much because love is the fulfilling of the law. Owe no man anything but to love one another. To have an abundant and an excessive love. A forgiving love, an enduring love, a building up kind of love. Not a self-willed love. Not a lust. Not the love that the world teaches you to have. But the love that Christ portrayed when he laid down his life for us. An abundant love. Paul prays for that. We should pray for that as well. And he says not just that we would have love, but he said that your love would abound more and more in knowledge and judgment. And so Paul's not saying, he's saying don't have this, this worldly kind of love, a blind kind of worldly love. Uh, and what, what, what is that exactly? You know, I see a trend in the world. It's, I say a trend. I guess it's always been that way. So it's, it's not a trend. It's just a fact that the world wants to love by approval. And so they'll say, if, well, if you really love me, uh, you won't care if I do this or this or this. If you really love me. Well, that's not the kind of love that Christ teaches, is it? That's not the way Christ loved. He was not afraid to rebuke wrongdoing. He was not afraid to tell people when they were in sin. He, he did that willingly because he loved. Because he loved. If I just step back and, and let someone live in sin without saying anything against it, do I really love them? Do I really want them to go to heaven? Do I really want their soul to be saved? If I'm just going to approve of that? And I think that's what Paul is saying here. I want your love to abound in knowledge and judgment or in knowledge and discernment. I want you to be able to discern good and evil. You need to know the difference between good and evil and you need to understand that and, and love people but don't love actions. We, we use that phrase often but that's a biblical principle. It's what Jesus did. It's what Jesus taught. 2 Peter 3 and verse 18, Grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Of Him be glory both now and forever. We're to grow in knowledge. We're to have more and more knowledge. James chapter 3 verse 13, Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness and wisdom. But if ye have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace." So James here, as he describes knowledge and wisdom, he, he goes in and begins to describe that. And he says first here, who's endued with knowledge among you? Let him show it out of a good conversation, his works, his works. And so he says if you're wise and if you're knowledgeable, your works are going to show that forth. 
Paul's saying let love abound more and more in knowledge and, and, and discernment. And so let your love be shown through your works. Love should produce works. Love should produce action. And as that love produces action and we do things for other people, good works uh, manifest themselves. Then he begins to say the opposite of that. So what's the opposite of love abounding in knowledge and, and in judgment? It's bittering. It's envying, it's strife that's in our hearts. Uh, he says those things are, are not truth. Those things are evil. And so there's a difference between the love of the world and the love of God. Uh, then at the end of that uh, verse, near, near verse 18, he says the wisdom that is from above is pure, peaceable, gentle, easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits without partiality and hypocrisy. Do, the, do those words sound familiar? They sound a lot like 1 Corinthians 13, where he's saying love is patient and kind. It doesn't envy. It's not puffed up. Those are the same kind of things that he's, that he's talking about here. Our love should abound more and more in knowledge and judgment. It doesn't mean we approve of all things. It means that we approve of things that are excellent, things that are good. Those are the things that we approve of. Not everything. You don't show love by saying you go be you and you go do you and whatever you want to do, you do that, make yourself happy. And I'm loving you because I don't care and you can do whatever you want to do. That's not what the Bible teaches at all. It says let love abound in knowledge and judgment because then you approve things that are excellent. You don't approve things that are evil. You love people and you want to pull them out of that. You want to pull them out of the mess that they're in. Because you don't want them to suffer an eternity of punishment. That's love that abounds. And it leads you to approve things that are excellent. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 11. Let him eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. We've got to know the difference between good and evil. We've got to study the word and know the difference. And choose good. Listen to Romans 12 and verse number 9. Let love be without Dissimulation. What is dissimulation? It's the, the word there together without dissimulation means unfeigned or undisguised, sincere. So he's saying let love be sincere. Let it be sincere love. What is sincere love? Abhorring that which is evil. Hating evil. That's love. He says let your love be that way. That's a love that is established in knowledge and judgment. That's a love that approves things that are excellent. Let it be without dissimulation. Let it be sincere. Abhorring that which is evil and cleaving. Holding to that which is good. And that leads us right into the next thing that he says. Sincere. Be sincere and without offense. Another way to say that is to be pure and blameless. You see, we, we talk about these things, they just build on one another. And Paul's just building a case, one thing on top of another. If it starts with love, if it starts with an abounding and an excessive love that's built in knowledge and discernment, it leads us to choose good, and it leads us to be pure and to be blameless. When we choose good, we keep ourselves unspotted from the world. James uh, would say that in James 1 and verse 27. Keep yourself unspotted from the world. 
Be sincere, without offense. Be pure, be blameless. Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. When we are pure in our hearts, it leads to good decision making. It leads us in the direction that we need to go. We've got to strive for that. Paul prayed for that. Pray for this church to be pure and blameless. To be sincere in our hearts. In the next chapter of the book of Philippians, chapter 2 and verse 15, Paul would say this, that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world. Man, if there's not something that would be relevant and pertinent to us today, these were the words, that you can keep yourself blameless and harmless, that nobody can rebuke you. Because you're living, your heart is pure, your heart is without blame, you're sincere and without offense. And he says, when you're that way, your light's going to shine bright. It's going to be brighter than anything else. People are going to see that. They're going to notice. They're going to say, those people are the disciples of Christ because they have love in their hearts. They love one another. The light will shine. And then he says that you be filled with the fruits of righteousness. So again, it just builds on one another. We're pure in our hearts. We're sincere. Without offense, he says we'll be filled with the fruits of righteousness. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. The fruit of the Spirit. He says, we'll be filled with the fruits of righteousness. These things begin to manifest themselves in our life. We're filled with them in abundance, in excess. My cup runneth over. We just flow out. These things flow forth from us. That's what Paul wanted for the church at Philippi. That's what we should want for one another today. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 9, For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. The things that are acceptable unto the Lord. The fruit of the Spirit. Goodness, righteousness, truth. And then he reminds them in this prayer. And again, I think this goes back. We talked a lot about uh, uh, last time. As Paul prayed for the church at Ephesus, he was acknowledging God. He was giving God glory. He was acknowledging Him as the giver of these things. And Paul does that in this prayer as well. He says these things are by Jesus. (laughs) All these things... The fruits of righteousness, being able to be sincere, understanding and having a good knowledge and judgment, love that abounds more and more. You don't have any of that without Jesus. You just don't have it without him. Muhammad doesn't teach that. Muhammad doesn't teach you to love your neighbor and love your enemy. That's not what he teaches. You're not going to find that teaching there. The world doesn't teach that. They're not going to teach you to love your enemy. They're not going to teach you that love is about having knowledge and judgment and choosing things that are approved of God. They're going to teach you it's about serving self and choosing self. They're not going to teach that. These things are by Jesus. And we should thank Him, thank God through Him that we are able to have these things, that we're able to make these decisions. In the book of Hebrews chapter 13, beginning in verse 20, it says, Now the God of peace... That brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, 
through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect into every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to him be glory forever and ever. Jesus makes you perfect in every good work. Jesus makes you perfect. Jesus makes it where you can abound in love more and more. Jesus makes it where you can have knowledge and discernment to do what's right in his sight. Jesus makes those things possible. He made the fruits. Jesus made the fruits. And Jesus makes it where you can produce the fruits. He makes it possible. Without him, you can't bring forth the fruits of righteousness. Without him, those things won't be in your heart. But through him, you can be made perfect to every good work. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse number 8, it says, But unto the Son he saith, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. Who loved righteousness and hated iniquity? Who chose good and eschewed evil? It was Jesus. Jesus did that perfectly. And Jesus made it possible that you and I could do it too. It's not an unwinnable battle. These things are all possible. And finally, Paul closes out by saying, Under the glory and the praise of God. It's not about you at the end of the day. It's not about you saying, look at me, I love more and more and more. I have all knowledge and judgment. I only approve things that are excellent. I'm sincere and without offense. I'm filled with all these fruits of righteousness. It's not about you because you can't do that on your own. You do that through Jesus and you do that under the glory and the praise of God. Let's give God the glory. Let's be a church that gives God the glory. Let's do all these things. And let's let our light shine out of the darkness. And let's let people see all these things. But let's be sure that we give the glory and the praise to God. Because he's the one that deserves it. Romans 4 and verse 20. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief. But was strong in the faith giving glory to God. I want you to think about Abraham for a minute. I want you to think about what he did when he took his son Isaac. And he offered him there. He took his only son and he offered him. He had received a promise of God. And that promise was that through your son all nations are going to be blessed. Through your son all nations are going to be blessed. Now take him and sacrifice him. And Abraham staggered not at the promise. You know sometimes I wonder if there were doubts in his mind. I think this verse answers the question. There were doubts in his mind. He said let's go. He went, he bound him, he got ready to offer me. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief. He knew that God made a promise and God was able to fulfill the promise. If there was anyone ever that had the right to beat on their chest and to say, look what I did, look how good I am, I did not doubt, I did not stagger, I offered my only son, it was Abraham. But what did Abraham do? It said he gave glory to God. He gave glory to God. I want you to abound in good works. I want you to abound more and more in love. But I don't want you to get big-headed about it. That's not what love does, is it? Love's not puffed up. Love doesn't seek its own. Love gives glory to God. So do all these things, but give glory to God. Matthew 5 and verse 16, let your light shine before men. That light's going to shine bright when you do these things. That light's going to shine forth. He says, let it shine. Let it shine before men. Let them see your good works. 
and glorify your Father. Not glorify you. Don't let them see your good works and glorify you. Don't do the good works so that you can be seen. Do the good works so that they'll glorify your Father which is in heaven. And this is the prayer that Paul prays. You know, sometimes I think we think we've got to pray this long and magnificent prayer and we've got to say all these words. That's not what Paul did. I'm sure there were times Paul prayed for hours. Uh, that's just me imagining. But I just imagine that was probably the case. But some of these prayers, the one to Ephesus, the one to Philippi, they're not long. And yet they say a lot. They say a lot. And they say a lot about what he wanted for the church. Churches that he helped plant. Now, he's quick to give God the glory. He's quick to recognize it wasn't about Paul. It wasn't about Timothy. It wasn't about Luke. It wasn't about Silas. It wasn't about the people that were involved in establishing that church. It was about God. But Paul had a lot to do with it. And this was his prayer for him. So I want you to this week pray this prayer as you have the opportunity. Father, it's my prayer that our love may abound more and more with knowledge and discernment so that we may approve what is excellent and pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus, to your glory and praise. In Jesus' name, amen. It's a wonderful prayer. It's a prayer that will help this church. It will help this congregation. We need this. We need it. So join me in praying that prayer as you bow your knees this week. Thank you for listening to today's sermon podcast. If you have questions about what you have heard or would like to know more information, please contact us by emailing cfcwheelerarea at gmail.com or look us up on Facebook or Instagram and send us a message there.